Hello, hello, my dear ones, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with My Higher Self. Welcome back or welcome. Either way, I am glad to see you here today. Today we're talking about water elementals or the undines. This one has been um, a long time coming. This is um, probably the last episode that I'm going to do on elementals. Some of you have been asking about when the water elementals are coming. So today's the day. How exciting is it? Um, but before we get started, let's dive into some of our housekeeping items. First things first, if you are meditating with me on our Sacred Universe podcast, you are a little rock star and I appreciate you. If you're not, you're massively missing out because we are uploading new meditations and guided journeys every week on Sundays, I believe. So our Sacred Universe on Spotify or Apple podcast, if you're not following us, you should, you should. Um, if you haven't checked out my book, it is out. It is available on Amazon. It is called 72 Keys to Manifestation, An Ancient Path of a Modern Day Alchemist. I launched this um, on 11-11 of last year, and it is a labor of love. It is a book with a lot of ancient codes. It is a book with a lot of ancient wisdom. Some of this information was ready to come back to the face of planet Earth, so um, it is a channeled book. So um, it is a book that will unlock your personal well of abundance, uh, but also a book on spirituality. So, um, and the way essentially it's built, um, is it's 72 days, one key per day. And so it's, it's kind of like a, a guided journey, um, into becoming and building, creating the life that you want. So if you haven't checked it out, you should, it's really good. And last but not least, follow me on YouTube. I am at, this is Maria, Maria with a strange spelling, M-A-R-I-Y-A. And, you know, that community is also growing. It's quite small still, but hey, um, we are uploading videos all the time there as well. All right. On that note, why don't we dive into why we gathered, um, which is the water elementals. This class of elementals is really rich. There are a lot of beings here of different shapes and sizes. They tend to be on the friendlier side. Not every elemental class is friendly. Um, we have definitely spoken about the fact that, you know, salamanders, um, fire elementals could be a little bit on the fence around humanity. Water elementals, the undines tend to love humans quite a bit. Now, um, obviously this is an overgeneralization, but in general, the undines are a very, very good class of elementals to work with. The undines is a term coined for water elementals by Paracelsus back in the 16th century. So we're, you know, we're going to use it. There's nothing wrong with the term. Today we're going to talk about, and let's see how many um, different elementals we can get through. But the most important ones are the mermaids, obviously. We're going to talk about the nymphs. There are many different kinds, many different classes of those ones. And we're probably, if we have time, we're going to talk about water sprites as well as ice sprites and ice golems. A lot to get through. So why don't we dive right in? Let's maybe start with the nymphs. Um, so way back when, when this planet was forming, 
the water elementals were some of the first ones that showed up. And nymphs were around them, or among them, shall I say. Nymphs guide and guard every single body of water that you can think of that is probably above and beyond your bathtub especially the body of bodies of water that are in nature. So you have all kinds of water nymphs. You have the waterfall nymphs. I like to call them uh, waterfall maidens. You have your lake nymphs. You have your river nymphs. You have your sea nymphs, ocean nymphs, etc., etc., etc. So essentially every spring, every body of, you know, fresh water or salty water would have its water spirits. They range in size. However, most nymphs are quite humanoid in, um, you know, in size. A lot of the nymphs, a large majority of them are female. But let me maybe take you like a step back and we're going to look at almost the hierarchy of um, water species, water elementals. Water elemental species is what I meant to say. So at one point... Um, all the water elemental species reported into Poseidon, the god of the sea. Um, a lot of you are familiar with it from the Greek mythology. Poseidon was one of the deities that was a formative deity for planet Earth, also called Neptune. It's one in the same consciousness, really. It is not always the deity. It is not always, it hasn't always been the spirit that was very prominent in the affairs of the planet. He was quite prominent during the, you know, ancient Greece times. But he built out quite a hierarchy of water beings for himself. And at one point, this being um, had a whole court. So whoever, essentially Poseidon slash Neptune, had a whole court of beings that reported into him, all collectively living underwater on planet Earth. So there is quite a lot of hierarchy, and that hierarchy is based on his court. So all of the water nymphs at one point report into Poseidon. Now the deity of Poseidon is no longer active on planet Earth. That um, spirit has moved on to bigger and better things. And so that um, the hierarchy uh, is slightly shifting. But essentially you had your um, noble nymphs, and then you had the supporting classes as well. So the noblest of the nymphs were called Oceanids and Potomai. So essentially there was this spirit or god um, called um, Oceanus who reported into Poseidon. Oceanus was supposed to be the god of fresh waters, but it's, it's kind of like a very interesting energy because Oceanus was managing the cycle of like water exchange, meaning like all of the water that fell as rain, all of the precipitation, you know, um, as well as the... So essentially he was managing the cyclical movement of water uh, on planet Earth. And um, he had his significant other, uh, Titan goddess, Tethys, and they had a lot of children together. And so essentially there were 6,000 kids that they quote-unquote birthed. And all of those 6,000, so they were actually broken up. They had 3,000 daughters and 3,000 sons. Um, and that is how you know this is divine divine planning, right? Because nobody just randomly has 3,000 daughters and 3,000 sons. And essentially, I think we should use the word sons and daughters very loosely here. It was their own court. So essentially, they had 3,000 female uh, spirits, uh, water spirits, um, that they gave life to. And they had 
3,000 male spirits. So the male spirits were called the Potomai, and the female spirits were called the Oceanids. Oceanids, by the way, you spell it kind of like the ocean with I-D-S at the end, but the pronunciation is a little bit weird. And so that was the core crux. That was kind of like the tip of the pyramid of all the water elementals. And then these 6,000 elementals who were of both genders essentially gave birth and multiplied the rest of them. They created a lot of minor uh, nymphs, and they've also managed the process of dissemination of those nymphs around the planet Earth. So that that's kind of like how the, the hierarchy uh, began. And so maybe just a couple of words on the Oceanids uh, and the Potomai, and then we can, you know, move forward because the nymph, you know, um, class uh, or, or type of uh, water elemental um, is quite fascinating. So I want to get to that. So the Oceanids were, l- let's think of them as almost like the royalty of water elementals. So you can think of them as almost like minor goddesses. There were at one point, as I said, 3,000 that were assigned to planet Earth. And they had quite long lives. Some of them are still around. Some of them have passed on. So of the 3,000 that were originally assigned to planet Earth, about 300 are still active. And then they had the brothers. They had the masculine side of water, um, who were called the Potomai. And those were technically gods of rivers, but they have overseen and they used to oversee a lot more than rivers. And those of the 3,000 that were originally born and present on planet Earth, there's about 200 that remain. So all in all, there's about still 500 um, water elementals that are considered royalty. Of the most prominent ones on the Oceanid side was a nymph called uh, Metis. Uh, Metis was one of consorts, so one of lovers of Zeus, and she was the mother of Athena. For those of you that are familiar with Greek mythology, Athena Uh, the goddess of war and wisdom. Uh, Metis was actually herself uh, a nymph that carried within herself the blueprint of wisdom. Very often, um, although not every Oceanid was, although all of them were born of the water element, not all of them ended up working with the water element. Some of them ended up working with other natural features on Earth, like Europa, for instance, or Europe. Um, was an oceanid that took care of the European continent. She was assigned as a deity to watch over the European continent. That's an example. Uh, Metis, right, uh, was a goddess of wisdom, and wisdom historically has been very, very connected to the water element, right? So with a lot of oceanids, as well as the Potomai, what you would find is a lot of their strength would stem from the qualities of water or the water element, Right. And uh, because, of course, uh, naturally, as the nobility of the water element, they were extremely intrinsically connected to that element. And again, so these 6,000 original water elementals gave birth to all the other nymphs. At one point, there were probably hundreds of thousands of nymphs. Right now, there's still tens of thousands of nymphs still around on the face of planet Earth. They are active in all kinds of natural water features, whether salty water, fresh water, everything in between. So pretty much any body of water you can imagine, it has multiple nymphs watching over it. 
The nymphs still perform, I mean, depending on their levels, and there are multiple levels in terms of like the hierarchy, like there is a hierarchy everywhere uh, within all types of beings. Depending on where the nymph fits in, into the hierarchy, um, it may um, either call the shots or support somebody who is calling the shots. But essentially every body of water is still going to have a nymph or nymphs that are in charge of it. And these beings are in charge of the ecosystem as a whole. So for instance, say there is an oil spill somewhere in the sea. Um, uh, there would be the, you know, the nymph who is in charge of that ecosystem is going to be responsible for cleaning it up, believe it or not, you know, above and beyond what people can do. Um, you know, people may choose to clean things up or they may choose not to, right? We actually don't hear about every single oil spill, believe it or not. Um, there are certain accidents that happen that, you know, are not really strictly televised. So essentially, because they're in charge, the nymphs, like the nymph who's in charge of the hierarchy is going to bring the, the resources to manage the whole ecosystem, right? So you may think of them as royalty, essentially, for um, the bodies, the respective bodies of water that they're managing, or governments, right? So the governments, the water governments consist of nymphs. On that note, they don't work alone. They have helpers. Uh, major nymphs have help from minor nymphs. Minor nymphs uh, can be smaller in size, or if they're not smaller in size, they're smaller in stature because they don't hold quite as much of that original water vibration or primordial water vibration. The way you should think about it is their blood is diluted. And by, by blood, energy, shall I say, more so than blood, right? So whoever stemmed originally, whoever was birthed of Neptune himself, uh, contained the larger percentage of his blood. And those would be the more pure nymphs. And then the more they, they started, you know, the, the more you go further down the, the hill, so to say, um, then they become more and more minor. And so you have a lot of helpers. Nymphs um, are really friendly, actually, believe it or not. They carry within themselves the primordial vibration of water and therefore the vibration of the Divine Mother. So they are a very forgiving, motherly, nurturing energy. They love bringing things back to equilibrium. They love cleansing things. So when you are next to the body of water, a large body, let's say you're, I don't know, at a sea or you, you're spending some time in nature by the river or the lake, what have you, it's very nice to be able to greet the nymphs that are in charge of that ecosystem and to ask their permission to bathe because to bathe or have fun or swim because they can do so much more for you than um, you would be able to do for yourself, right? So most people, when they swim in the ocean or the river, they don't necessarily think of the added benefits beyond, let's say, entertainment or short-term pleasure. But water is a great element in order to go back to your own personal state of equilibrium. So if you choose to greet the nymphs, they will help you adjust, make adjustments to your physical body, your emotional body. So they mostly work on the physical and emotional level. That, that, that's their two favorite bodies to work with, but they can also work with you on the etheric slash energy level, right? So the, those three. You probably don't want to go to the nymphs to fix your mental or your thought forms. They're not really great at that. 
However, dealing with emotions, you can definitely give all of your negative emotions to the water. But before you do, you definitely want to ask permission because all water elementals, all water beings are extremely sensitive to the emotions. So one thing you have to be mindful of when you're swimming in a body of water, every single water elementals, as well as the inhabitant of that water, feels what you're all about, like feels every single emotion that you're feeling, whether you'd like it or not, right? So if you're going through something hard or you're experiencing some very tough emotions, it's actually really nice to ask for permission to enter the, the waters so that the waters can cleanse you of that emotion. Otherwise, it's kind of like walking inside of somebody's living room with dirty feet um, and leaving marks, like leaving footprints. That's kind of like how it feels when you just enter the body of water and let's say you're grieving or you're angry or something and you're not asking for permission to do that, right? Um, what would end up happening is the cleansing that you so desire and maybe that you deserve or that you could benefit from is not going to happen, right? Because the nymphs, again, there's um, A, they're not going to help you in and of themselves because this world operates according to a, um, the law of free will, right? So before we can get helped, we need to ask for help. So it is very important for you to establish that relationship with the nymphs. What do they look like? Uh, I feel like I kind of skipped that over. The nymphs, it's, it's interesting because initially um, they started with having both the physical and the etheric bodies. Right now they're most, mostly etheric in nature. So at one point they just gave up their physical bodies and they just, you know, became more like spirits really in, in the true um, sense of the word. So most of them are transparent and that is kind of, this is going to be a common refrain with water elementals. Most of them are transparent, either completely transparent and so they literally, you couldn't tell them apart from water. Or the, they would be transparent, but somewhat denser. And so, although this is not a perfect example, but they kind of look like a jellyfish. If you guys have seen like jellyfishes, um, they are transparent. Very often the jellyfish is transparent, but you can tell like it, it has texture. So this is what like, um, you know, etherically, energetically, this is what they would look like. Now, of course, for a lot of etheric beings, they can appear to you in whichever way that you expect them to appear. So very often they appear as maidens. A lot of water elementals that are currently left on planet Earth are female. That is not how it originally started. We originally started with 50-50 on planet Earth. 50% of the water elementals were feminine, 50% were masculine. There was balance. Over time, through the process of osmosis and a lot of other things, a lot more female water elementals remained. It happened because of the lack of balance in the ecosystem. Very often, the water is the one thing that brings everything to balance and equilibrium. And so on masculine planets, which planet Earth is, on masculine planets, when the masculine energies are rampant, a lot of the time, the water element is going to adjust itself to be even more feminine than it generally is. I don't know if I'm making sense, but for, well, let's say water as an element. While yes, it belongs to the domain of the Divine Mother, it's like there is a spectrum 
of, of how feminine it can come across. And it has been decided that on planet Earth, water is going to go all the way feminine, kind of, so that the overall ecosystem of planet Earth could be balanced. Because of that, a lot of the water elementals that still remain today are feminine. In fact, most nymphs, I would say 90-something percent of nymphs are feminine because of that, right? Because it is understood by these water elementals that in order to harmonize the energies of planet Earth, in order to bring things back to balance, they need to have more femininity to tackle the masculinity that exists on planet Earth. So that's that. Water nymphs, like I said, are extremely friendly. And you would also find that if you befriend one, they would be totally okay becoming your guide and following you around, if that makes sense. So let's say you are by the sea and you start talking to a local nymph and developing a relationship with that local nymph. You would, you know, if you form a bond, that nymph is going to be around even once you leave the location of the sea and go back to wherever your home is, right? So because they're etheric beings, they're not necessarily tied to a particular location, so they can move around quite, quite um, frequently and very easily. They're not tied to a place uh, in the sense that they may still be assigned to it, but they can still help you out, help you out wherever you are. Okay, so those are the nymphs. The nymphs are really good healers. They actually thrive on absorbing negative energies. So, and, and, and the reason I say that is because in order to bring things into equilibrium, sometimes you have to absorb the negativity. And so a lot of nymphs all day, every day, all they do is absorb negativity because that is the only way that they can bring things back to equilibrium. Now, when they absorb negativity, the way their energy structure works is they're able to cleanse the negativity it's almost like if negativity was darkness, which it is actually on the energy level, they're able to engulf the darkness, almost hug it and absorb it into their little bodies and then transform it. And essentially when they give that energy back, it looks like pure golden light. So it's actually quite beautiful to witness. So they're really, really good healers. Nymphs work a lot with living beings and living organisms. You know, depending on the elemental, they this may or may not be the case, but they work a lot with living beings. Beings, So they're here not to just um, manage ecosystems. They do help living beings, including people, animals, plants, crystals, if that's needed. So all other life forms of water nymphs can, can help. They are, because they're connected to the water element, they are also quite helpful in being able to see the future, they are able to tap into the multiverse, look into the likelihood of things happening and advise you based on that. So I found that working with nymphs is extremely helpful because A, they're forthcoming with answers and, and, and B, they're able to naturally connect to the water. And so they're able to see the future as well as the past for that matter. It doesn't really matter to them. They exist um, in the realm that's almost outside of time. They're not as confined to timelines as humanity. So you may find that they're quite great mentors slash teachers as you're trying to dive into 
let's say the Akashic records, right? They can help you read your own personal ones as well as, you know, if you have any other questions about others, um, as well as they can advise on the, the what if scenarios, right? Like what's going to happen if I do X, Y, or Z. They are also intrinsically linked to creativity. And one thing that they're really, really good at is removing blocks around anybody's creativity and creative flow. So energetically, they can help you work through any of the blockages in your sacral and any of the blockages in your throat area, because both are very, very connected to self-expression and creativity. So if you would like to work through some of your blockages, they can even work with you inside of your own bathtub. Like you would need to work with the element of water and you would need to invite the nymph doesn't really matter what element of water it can be the ocean the sea the lake the pond you name it even the fountain whatever um and as, as well as your own personal shower or bathtub and you would want to if you're sitting under the shower that's fine if you're using a body of water you want to submerge as much of your body inside of the body of water as possible and then you would want to invite the nymph in to help you to work through your creativity and you would notice that they would start activating and cleansing your sacral and your um, throat area using water magic so their water magic looks like essentially globules of water that they move around or water bubbles so they use this water spheres or water bubbles and they use them at different pressures so when they're removing the blockages while the shape of their magic is, is very circular in nature, it um, they use it under different pressure and under different conditions, right? So that's why, depend like they can essentially accentuate the pressure, and that is going to be very clearing and very healing. So they could do that for throat and um, sacral areas. They're really good at understanding dreamscape as well. Because dreamscape is extremely connected again to the water element. So if you're working with the nymphs, you can ask them to help you manage your sleep better. They're really, really good at, for instance, if you have sleep uh, issues with falling asleep, getting the nymph as a guardian is actually really helpful because they would work with your own energy body, bringing it in and calming it down before you go to bed literally nymphs, nymphs do that so um, they may be able to tell you what your dreams meant if you have prophetic dreams or what have you lucid dreams they may be able to advise you on what that meant but really most importantly they can help you get better sleep stop seeing nightmares they're really good for that as well because again dreams are extremely um, intrinsically linked with water i wanted to mention one other small baby elemental that wants to come through right now and they're very small but they're adamant that humanity needs to hear about them they're calling themselves the dew nymphs or the dew dew maidens dew as in d-e-w and they're literally babies they look like they're the sign the size of a small coin so about half an inch and they're the cutest um they are transparent Although if you stare, you know, they, they could show themselves to some very, very rare people, although they're very, very shy. These um, baby elementals are super shy. 
and they manage the dew, the morning dew. And the reason they're so adamant about me telling you about them is because they're working so hard every night so that they can bring you the purest form of water in the form of dew. And they're saying that right now humanity needs healing and they would love to offer this healing via the morning dew that they collect. So if you would like to partake in their magic, in the magic of their healing, they ask that you wake up with the sun, right? So their magic works best with the sun. So about up to 20, 25 minutes once the sun goes up, right? That dew is the most potent. So they're saying that, um, I mean, yes, drinking it is amazing, but of course, who knows if you can even find enough dew to drink. But even if you find a couple of droplets, they're saying that placing the water of those droplets on, you know, in the different areas of your head, like uh, right around your hairline, um, on the sides around your temples is their favorite spot, their most recommended spot. Um, just placing like a couple of um, dew drops around your temples and then asking for a particular type of healing that you need at this moment in time. That is something that they could assist you with. So if you proactively ask for some healing, and it doesn't doesn't have to be physical healing. Like I said, it can be emotional healing, like trauma. Um, or alternatively, if you have a physical ache, you can just rub morning dew into that place. Let's say you have a tummy ache or what have you, in circular motions. And they would like for you to do nine circles. So they there's they work with a number, the, the sacred sacred um numerology of number nine. So um, you would want to do nine circles or anything that is like, um, that has nine in it, meaning like 18 or 27. So like nine multiplied by two, nine multiplied by three, nine multiplied by four, because they can work with the magic of the number nine. Um, and, you know, they promise that they would work with that ailment that you offer to them, you know, or ask them for assistance with. And although they cannot promise, because they're quite small, they're teeny tiny, they cannot promise an immediate healing and or an overnight healing. They do promise something that over time, you know, you could be healed. So, you know, seven, seven days generally is enough for that healing to really solidify. So if you want to, you know, if you definitely would love to work with the dew elementals, um the dew nymphs um maybe waking up seven days in a row can be like a ritual that you do and you know i'm doing this exercise with a morning dew but they really would like to help and they're super super friendly although they're extremely shy and so they're not necessarily be too forthcoming and i will also tell you that they're not the most talkative bunch so if you're would like to interact with them you know they're more so um they're they're not really good like they're not going to give you the the keys to the mysteries of the universe but they will heal right so for instance if your heart is aching i don't know you broke up with somebody or um i don't know something you lost a loved one um i see them and you ask them for healing um i see they do this cute thing and they, by the way they they usually work in um groups it's not just one elemental that's going to work with you like they there are hundreds of them everywhere like if you're, you know, if you have a home, if you have a house and you have a backyard, you probably have thousands of these living in, in your backyard and you don't even realize it because actually collecting dew 
is really hard work. It's kind of like when bees collect honey. It takes a lot of effort. And so it takes a lot of these baby elementals to be able to just create dew in the morning. And yes, I know, you know, you, you may be skeptical. You may be like, Maria, come on. It's not the elementals that are creating dew in the morning. It's, it's essentially just the cycle of water, right? And yes, you are right, but they're charging the dew with healing properties. So the dew would have existed without them. And, but you know, when, when I say they're collecting it, they really are spending their time, like infusing the dew with the healing magic. But when you're asking this elementals to like help you, let's say it's a heartache or something, they literally like get inside of your body and there are like thousands of these like baby ones. And they like literally wrap their little bodies around your heart to provide almost like a pillow or like a cushion around it. It's like the cutest thing ever. And they would stay there sometimes for like up to three days working on the energies and evening them out. So when they leave, you get like the relief. So they're extremely hardworking and extremely cute. And I just find it endearing that they wanted, you know, to show themselves in that way and to offer themselves because again, like they're not that talkative and you know most of you would never really I guess come across one or you know think about one but they're they're here to help so these are the nymphs you can still work going back to um you know my my earlier kind of like when I gave you that hierarchy you can still work with the oceanids um the 300 that are left on the female side the 200 that are left on the male side if you have some high level requests if you're working in the planetary level, working with an oceanid water elemental can be really helpful. What can they do? They have some serious water magic, meaning um, they can teach you water magic if that's what you want. They can teach you how to make things happen using the energy of the natural flow, right? So because they own the water, they own the energy of flow, being in the flow, flowing with the universe moving around impediments so they're extremely resourceful because the water element is all about finding the resources and the means of accomplishing something so they can help you find the resources i don't know say you're fundraising for something you like a, you want to raise money for charity or some i don't know some other charity charity cause or like research that you care about they can help you with that fundraising for your business or saving up money to buy a car whatever that is right they can help you with resources um, because water is also abundance it's one of the abundance elements so working with ocean it's oceanides it could be very very lucrative but it's very similar to working with the deities not that different um having let's say a deity or a god goddess as a spirit guide and working with oceanids is not going to be that different whereas the water nymphs they're less about high-level information and, and, and high-level wisdom and more about in-the-moment help with healing, cleansing, bringing you back to personal equilibrium. That is what, what lower-level um, nymphs are really good for. Second, we're going to talk about are the mermaids. The mermaids are amazing. The mermaids are what you guys think about, for the most part, when you think about the water elementals. The mermaids are probably one of the most popular elementals alive and well in the pop culture. So that archetype is very much alive and, and, and living and breathing. Uh, love the mermaids. The mermaids were um, 
at one point, again, they, they also came uh, to planet Earth really, really early in the game, right alongside uh, Poseidon himself. So he brought in the, you know, some of his uh, most prominent water nymphs with him, as well as um, the mermaids, a merfolk, um, not just maids, but mermen as well. So it was, again, a very gender, um, agno not agnostic, but like they had balance there. They they had almost as, as many mermaids as they had mermen at the time. Um, and so he brought the, these elementals as well. And mermaids were um, one of the nine elemental groups that really like spearheaded the creation of, you know, parts of planet Earth as well as took it upon themselves to grow the planet and to really nurture the planet. So there are nine elemental types of which mermaids are one and they're the only water elemental um, on the list that is so intrinsically connected to planet earth that if the mermaids were to live leave sorry the planet earth it would be quite hard for planet earth to maintain its livelihood right uh, in other in other words gaia would be in trouble uh, that this is not the case about nymphs actually 100 percent of nymphs could disappear and and gaia could continue and carry on with the mermaids not the case so they're extremely extremely critical extremely crucial Multiple reasons for that. Mermaids have some planetary work, uh, planetary commitments, planetary sacred contracts, which is the case about um, these foundational elemental races, for the lack of a better term. Mermaids, as a class of beings, m help manage the ley lines of planet Earth. The ley lines, another way to think about it, um, is the blood vessels of planet Earth. Now, they're technically energy vessels, they're not really blood vessels. But in order to function properly, Gaia needs a network, a system of vessels, a system of pathways that would enable Gaia to stay connected to the different aspects of itself, so stay connected within itself, as well as to stay connected to her cosmic brothers and sisters. And that is what the ley lines are helpful with. Now, you're very familiar that a big chunk of the Earth's surface, surface is covered by water. And ley lines don't just exist on the land. They exist everywhere. Again, just like the network of capillaries or blood vessels, they exist like in the same way that capillaries exist all throughout your body. It's not like they exist in your left arm and don't exist in your right arm. The same thing is true for ley lines. Ley lines exist on land and under sea. And mermaids were originally assigned, and they still are assigned, to helping manage the ley lines of essentially the, the parts of the ley lines that are located underwater. Whether those ley lines are located under fresh waters, whether those ley lines are located under salty waters, doesn't really matter. The mermaids are in charge of the ley lines. What does that mean? They have to guard the ley lines. So there are certain junctures within the network of the ley lines that are mission critical. In the same way that there are some blood vessels in your body that are really critical. And, you know, if you had a bleeding in one of those vessels, it would not be very nice. You know, if your aorta is bleeding, as opposed to the capillary in your right finger. 
that's a very different impact on your ecosystem and your body, right? So there certain um, more folk are assigned to guarding ley lines um, as well as certain objects that are located underwater that are considered critical objects, uh, critical crystals, for instance. Um, you know, as you guys well know, Atlantis sunk. Who do you think is guarding Atlantis? It's the merfolk. And that, trust me, there is a lot, a lot of stuff that needs to be guarded. Despite the fact that it's sunk, there are still some things in there that if they were to get into the wrong hands, um, it wouldn't be quite great for planet Earth overall, for our ecosystem and, and the future of this planet. So the merfolk are guarding it. They also are tasked with clearing and cleansing the ley lines. Unfortunately, like every energy pathway, sometimes ley lines get blocked or get constricted. So it is up to the merfolk to help figure it out. Ley lines are also charged by cosmic energies. So light from the cosmos as well as, and when I say the cosmos, it's really... Um, there's sunlight is you know the number one most important light from the cosmos that the ley lines are absorbing as well as light from remote stars and not so remote stars right ley lines are absorbing the light of Sirius for instance um, and the light of the Pleiades etc etc so merfolk need to make sure that the waters that they're managing that they're guarding or guiding if you will don't obstruct the ley lines that are located underwater from receiving that cosmic light. So having an oil spill, for instance, in the middle of the ocean is bad on so many different levels that goes above and beyond, let's say, killing wildlife in the ocean. What, you know, probably the most critical thing that doesn't happen when, you know, the surface of the water is not clean and oil spill is a quick example, like a really big example of that is the energy of the cosmos is not able to penetrate successfully into the depth of the ocean. They're not, and it's not feeding the ley lines. If it's not feeding the ley lines, it's not cleansing the ley lines. That means that the ley lines are congested. That means that the, um, the ley lines and the energy that they carry cannot be detoxified. And so all of these toxins remain in the system of planet Earth. And that is why having our oceans clean is so much more above and beyond saving wildlife. It is actually very much about humanity's ability to receive high and high frequency cosmic codes for its own ascension, evolution, and development. So when we have plastic floating on, you know, on the ocean, granted plastic is transparent, but plastic creates all kinds of issues. And when there are, excuse me, when there are like tons of plastic, like layers of this plastic, then the cosmic light, again, cannot penetrate. And so one thing that the merfolk do is they are, unfortunately right now, they have to do a lot of cleanup work, a lot of cleanup work. They, you know, are tasked with creating portals. And for those of you that would like to help the merfolk, um, there is work that you can do. I've personally worked with them recently and we did a lot of cleanup, but if you would like to help out, um, you know, it would be very much appreciated, not even so much by me, but by them, frankly, because right now, um, here's what I would kind of like, like for you to imagine. If you look at the surface of the ocean, like disregard the plastic, there's a fairly thick layer 
um, about 10 centimeters deep. 10 centimeters is about four inches, give or take, right? About 10 inches deep. And it's like an energetic layer. Um, it's not like physically what you can see with your physical eyes, but it's energetically what you can see. You would notice that a lot of our oceans are covered with about 10 inches um, deep of like what looks like soot or just like debris of darkness, like just this dark layer. Like essentially, if you look at a lot of our oceans, they're black on an energetic level. They're not blue. And so what these poor merfolk are trying to do is from downstairs, right? Because they exist underwater. They're trying to like clear this up, but they don't, they're not, there's not a lot of them actually, comparatively speaking. And they're not, originally, they did not anticipate that beyond just mind, minding their own business and clearing up the ley lines and doing the things on the ley lines, they're also going to have to clean up 100% of the surface of the oceans. That was not part of their job description. They just got stuck with it. And they're freaking out a little bit, not going to lie. And they would love assistance from people who would love to help clear up the oceans. The way you would do that is you would focus on a particular place. It, you don't have to name it, but you could if you wanted to. Like, for instance, today I want to work on the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean or what have you. You may name it. Although, by the way, any ocean you may pick to work with is fair game because all of them are pretty messed up right now. And so you would want to imagine that you're creating a massive sphere of white light between your between your arms, like between your fingers uh, of, of, of your two hands. And then you're growing, growing, growing the uh, that um, sphere of light. And then you would just drop it into the ocean and watch as it kind of like explodes and expands. And as it expands, you would notice that it creates like this opening in the surface of the ocean. And the more it, like the um, bigger the light that you can generate, the more of an opening it can create. Because these um, mer merfolk are actually really looking for openings um, in the surface of the ocean so the cosmic codes can penetrate and get into the ley lines. And the ley lines, again, permeate our whole planet, right? They impact 100% of the species and 100% of our ecosystem. So if you guys wanna help mermaids, you should because this, this is great karma, you guys. They're really struggling over there. But I feel like I kind of skipped ahead and we didn't really talk too much about like the mermaids themselves. So um, be, beside the fact that they're playing this extremely critical role for the ecosystem of planet Earth, they're amazing, uh, uh, just amazing beings. They, um, there are mermaids that live in salt waters as well as, like I said, fresh waters. They cover all of it. Now, the majority of them, and because like mermaids also have their royalty, their royalty lives in uh, in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and in general, um, the royalty of mermaids prefers uh, salty water, not fresh water. Um, mermaids do have to live in fresh waters as well. This is not, you know, not their preferred um, location, <laughs> not their preferred um, pastime, but somebody has to, you know, mind the ley lines there so they're they're going out of their way and very often you would have the full family if family gets assigned um to a body of fresh water like that whole family moves and essentially they start a colony uh, mermaids are not just female female mermaids are just the ones that like to interact more with humans um mermen don't really love to interact with humans they're a lot more skeptical 
um, mermaids are a, a little bit more curious, um, so they interact a lot more with, with humans. So originally when mermaids uh, came to planet Earth, they were perfect shapeshifters. So specifically they had two main shapes. They could, when they, st when they stayed in the water, they had their tails, mermaid tails. And when, you know, but they also had the capacity to get onto the land and shapeshift into essentially a human or humanoid being. Now, the issue with that transformation was they are predominantly and originally still a water species and a water elemental. And so they cannot sustain the shapeshifted humanoid form without repercussions. So at about a three day mark, they would start getting um, anxious about going back to the water. So it's it wasn't terribly sustainable. So for mermaids, a merman, merfolk, shall I say, at one point, there were mermaids who chose to stay with the humans. Obviously, when, when those things happened, it was because of great love or another feeling that a mermaid or like a merman was experiencing towards a human generally, right? The, like, why else would you go on shore? Because it was actually that transition for them was very painful. If the merman, like if, if the merfolk chose to stay on land for longer than three days, they would start the process of transformation uh, of actually into a humanoid species, which was excruciatingly painful for about like a week. And then they would, you know, if they chose to not go back during that week, um, they would essentially forever stay a human and a, a lot of them did which doesn't mean that they lose 100% of their mer merfolk DNA they don't there is still what's called like a watermark um you know on a, on the etheric level when you're going to be watching somebody with a water watermark some part of their etheric body looks like it has scales like fish scales transparent pretty but like you would notice that it has scales and this is like a watermark there are some other uh, versions of the watermark where like, you know, somebody has, like etherically would be able to tell that somebody has a mermaid DNA, but a lot of it comes in uh, the format of scales. Some of it is hieroglyphs as well. Um, and sometimes you would have the, the, the trident, the trident of the Poseidon. Like that is also another uh, watermark, uh, a mark of the merfolk. So essentially they would stay, right? And they would breed with humans. And, and, and then, you know, that's how um, what is it? I think 4% of humanity, give or take right now, has um, some merfolk DNA. Trace amounts, trace amounts, not large amounts, but some, right? And um, so essentially, initially, all of the merfolk were shapeshifters, so they could go on land. Um, there has been a time when humanity started hunting or humanoids, I guess humanoids and humanities are on the same thing, yes and no. Um, but at one point, humanity started hunting merfolk and they stopped um, wanting to interact with humans. And so those interactions became less and less frequent. And in enough, although not in everybody, in enough merfolk, um, the ability to turn humanoid actually atrophied. So they no longer can, you know, if they were to go on shore, they couldn't grow to two feet. Uh, because again, this was kind of like also a part, like a protective mechanism as well. Because, you know, sometimes species would develop protective mechanisms just in order to survive. It's actually collectively not deemed safe, right? Because the merfolk have 
collective consciousness, just like everybody else. Collectively, it was decided that it's not safe for them to be on shore. And so, you know, they're actually in enough of them, apart from like very few, uh, but the ability to grow feet is now atrophied. So it's, it's no longer there. Um, they have evolved beyond that into just like their own form. And yeah, um, it's actually very interesting because they have their main court. Um, they have the king and the queen of merfolk um, that they, they specifically have. They live in the Pacific Ocean, not too far from Hawaii, actually. Um, they have like a very large colony there. Uh, they don't really interact with humans. They live in very deep waters. Um, and, you know, they have their hands, hands full. And then, um, but they also have their clusters. So merfolk, because they need to cover ground, because they need to cover a lot of like ley lines are everywhere, right? So like they can, unfortunately, they don't have the benefit of just like clustering in one place, meaning, or just like living all in one place. Like a lot of other elementals actually have that luxury. Merfolk don't. And so they have to, essentially, they would develop these... Um, networks right like around ley lines they would develop like settlements almost around ley line major like um, junctures on ley lines and then they are interconnected kind of like if you had like one giant spider web um because it emanates from the center and that center actually is the dwelling of their royalty and then it kind of like just uh, um you know goes in not quite concentric circles but kind of looks like concentric circles out and so, for instance, the king, and the, the king and the queen of Merfolk could send a message to any, um, any, a, anyone um, of their species, and um, you know, any um, being of their species. But that being may be located on the other side of the planet from them, right? Because again, they they do uh, have settlements, and um, from the etheric level, their settlements look like essentially in the water. If you kind of like just paid attention. And looked with your third eye there are these patches of gold underwater and it just seems like something is glowing underwater and like if you were to zoom in you would notice that there's like this um, like almost like like mini suns they have this golden nucleus and then like spikes emanating from it and the, the sun is generally it just signifies like a large settlement of merfolk uh, and it's generally the sun also is connected to the ley lines so it's just some juncture in the ley lines that they're watching but um, yeah, if, if you do start working with merfolk, trying to help them out to clear the surfaces of our oceans, it, don't be surprised. They may start thanking you and, and leaving you all kinds of gifts. And um, maybe in your meditations, I wouldn't be surprised that you may get a visit from a mermaid or two or even the king and the queen themselves. Like you never know. So you know, and, and they're quite nice. So I, I hope that some of you get to meet them. Um, one thing that I forgot to tell you, but let me tell you right now, because it's kind of important. If you're coming to an elemental for help, when you're asking them to help, you heal something like whether that's due, um, like due um, elementals, um, due nymphs, doesn't really matter what nymphs, anybody, you, you, you would be wise to offer an energy exchange. It's just something that is expected. Like elementals know that you cannot just give, 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 or take, take, take. Like they under, above anyone, because they, they understand balance and equilibrium, they understand that 
it's all an exchange. So I urge you to bring things, right? Especially if you're asking for healing, emotional, etheric, doesn't matter, physical, you want to bring something to them. Uh, what are the things that the water elementals love? Depends. Mermaids, mermen love jewelry and like accessory type things. I'm not saying like you need to give them a belt. Please don't. But like they like little small ribbons. Um, they like feathers. They think of feathers as accessories actually because they don't have, well, fish doesn't have feathers. So for them, it's like really cute if you give them like the little feather. And when you give it to them, you just like drop it into the water and, you know, ask the, you know, ask the water to, to take it if, if, if they're receiving your gift. Um, do you, uh, if you, uh, do you nymphs uh, like, okay, they like coins, they said. <laughs> don't ask me why they need coins. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, don't shoot the messenger. They like coins. They said they like berries and fruit. That's kind of what they want. So if you're, you know, if you're asking them for healing, these are the things that they want. Don't bring them like a pack of coin, bag of coins. Bring them one coin, that's it, and just place it, you know, in the earth, and they, they'll they'll take it. And same thing, like don't bring them like a three kilos of raspberries. Just bring them one one raspberry. You know, they're quite small. Trust me, it'll last them for some time. Um, and again. It's not like they're going to eat it anyhow. It's an energy exchange, right? It's the thought that matters. Because if you ask for help but don't offer anything back, technically it's fair game for elementals to take whatever they want from you. And, you know, they're not malicious beings, but they also may take things they don't necessarily want to give away. So come prepared. So that's that. Let's maybe quickly move on. There are also water sprites. Water sprites are all kinds of different spirits that live in water. Um, very often they're small, smaller compared to humans, right? Um, your average water sprite is probably like five to 10 inches long. Um, and they look, um, a lot of them don't even have a shape. They just look like a wave of water, like a little streak of water. Um, those are, again, like they are very friendly, like nymphs. And they like helping people. So a water sprites specifically like to work with you. They're good at speeding things up, right? If you want something sped up, you can ask them for help and be like, hey, can you accelerate my healing? Can you accelerate my studies? Can you accelerate my, I don't know, getting rich? Something like that. So water sprites are really good like that. Um, water sprites are really good with memory. So they have certain memories. They carry, uh, um, you know, ancestral memories, um, so they can walk you through certain, you know, stories, um, as well as help you memorize things. So if you're studying for exams, working with water sprites can be quite interesting because they can enhance your memory. Um, water sprites are extremely good at removing blockages in your feet and hands. Um, so we, we have main chakras in the palms of our hands. Well, maybe I shouldn't be calling them main because they're not the main seven, but they're still quite significant. And so you have your uh, important chakras in the palms of your hands and in the soles of your feet. Water sprites are extremely good at cleansing those, removing the blockages and recalibrating them, bringing them back to their perfect state. This is not something that a lot of humans are mindful of, but these chakras, these four chakras are one of your main means of energy exchange with the world around you. 
there's not enough hygiene. Um, like we don't really human human beings are not in the habit of cleansing them or cleaning them, right? There's no such thing as like okay, like you brush your teeth and you cleanse your your hand chakras. So by just being in the water, you may ask the water sprites to cleanse these chakras for you, and they will remove whatever blocks because it's actually really really important to keep the chakras um, optimal for energy exchange and absorb the, like the exchange is like really the give and take right so some people get their energy from you know with their hands some people receive their energy uh, from the hands like you, you generally receive from the air or the cosmos if you're receiving with your hands if you're receiving with your feet you're receiving from the earth there are some people most people do one or the other as their preferred some people do both and interchange it doesn't really matter they uh, you know the water sprites can heal you either way or like can cleanse those pathways either way but if one of them or both of them are blocked or just restricted um it's it's kind of like blood vessels having cholesterol <laughs> if you've ever seen like what that looks uh, from the inside it's like there's this thick layer like white layer that uh, exists in blood vessels and that's why it's really hard for blood to go through the same thing kind of is true for your energy vessels right and so if those four chakras are blocked then you may experience all kinds of issues with your energy. You could be tired all the time, or you can actually be quite the opposite. Some, sometimes when people don't fall asleep, it's because those chakras are not um, not functioning properly. But they're they're you know essentially you just always want to make sure that they're in tip top shape, and water sprites can help you with that. Okay, ice golems and ice sprites. Ice is another form of water. I figured we'd talk about it because they're kind of a little bit different. Now, I will tell you, if you are just freezing the water in your freezer, doing making ice cubes for cocktails, I hate to say this, water, uh, sorry, ice sprites don't live there. Water sprites would, right? Because the original state of that water was liquid. And then you just chose to freeze it artificially, shall we say. The ice sprites, as well as ice golems, live where it's really cold. They, they live in the Arctic, let's say. And that is where water is almost like meant to be in, in its ice stage and its ice state. However, right, um, you don't necessarily need to go to the North Pole <laughs> um, in order to partake and develop a relationship with ice sprites. Ice sprites are good at freezing things over, which... Um, and, and depending on like, if, if you've been with me for some time, when, you know, you may have gone through a couple of meditations with me around ice, but freezing things is one of my favorite, um, practices for reset, reset, recalibration, rest, right? Um, what, what, uh, what are the times when you would want to freeze certain things? Um, if you want to slow down a particular process or if you want to stop it completely you would want to freeze things over so if there is like a disease developing your body in your body you may want to freeze it over if there is a negative emotion or a negative thought pattern that is either developing in you or has a strong foothold within you you may want to freeze that over um, you may actually slow down time by freezing it you may um, slow down or freeze 
certain energy cords that are connecting you to things you no longer want to be connected to. You may slow down um, and freeze certain karmic knots in order to easier move through them. Because when something is frozen, A, for instance, with a cord, a cord that's frozen is extremely easy to cut. Uh, once the things are frozen, they're also very easy to separate from the other things that are not frozen. And again, like let's say a disease that's frozen, it's a lot easier to work with a frozen energy to remove it from the body and send it into a portal, let's say into another dimension, as opposed to working with the energy that is in its active state. When the energy is in its active state, it's a lot harder to deal with it, especially if you are, let's say, on the newer side working with energy, right? It's, it's kind of like trying to contain the, the, the sounds of time. It's impossible. If you were to freeze something, a lot easier to manage. So ice sprites, spirits of uh, that live inside of ice, are really good to help you freeze things over etherically right? So you may invite them, ask them to assist you in freezing things over. And I already gave you examples, like why would you want to freeze something? And again, here you would want to pay them and give them something, right? There is um, like a little altar uh, that you could have for them. Um, ice sprites like grains, so if you're, you know, if you would like to give a little offering to them, they like grain. So you can put it in like a small bowl. They like rice, barley. I mean, anything really, any grain. They'll take any of that. Um, they like bread, they're saying. Grains and bread is kind of their favorite, but they'll take a little bit of honey as well. So these are the things that they would love as offerings if, if you choose to work with them. Golems, eyes golems. Are, I mean, golems in general are large and they're a lot more foundational as energies. They generally hold the space um, and hold certain energies together um, while planet Earth is working through those energies. And so for um, a lot of like now everybody's worried about the ice caps melting. Um, Earth goes through cycles. Uh, Earth goes through cycles of uh, different states of water. And right now we are in the process of releasing, actually, that's why the ice cap's melting. It's not, not really, not really the global warming um, that's melting the ice caps. The global warming is maybe one tenth of, of that. But truly the ice caps are melting because planet Earth is ready to release and let go. And it's extremely hard. Like once she throws things over, like once you freeze things over and then, you know, you work through these energies, right? Once you're ready and like you feel like you have worked through whatever karma you needed to work through, then actually you can turn things back into water and that is released. So freezing and unfreezing things actually is, is a cleansing and healing practice in and of itself. So right now ice caps are melting because planet Earth is ready for her next cycle. As you well know, planet Earth is moving into 5D. It is a pretty big jump for her. And so she has worked through a lot to get there. And now she's melting the ice caps, um, you know, in conjunction with the sun and everything else, you know, all of her other helpers that she's working with. And the, um, the ozone layer is um, becoming thinner and thinner for a reason. It is part of the grand plan. It's not because humanity must stop planet Earth. This particular part is not because humanity must stop planet Earth. In fact, you want those ice caps to melt. Um, and 
what's going to happen in the next cycle once planet Earth has released all of that and she's ready to essentially start the next lap of her journey, the ice caps are going to freeze over again. And But it's going to be a different challenge. She's going to freeze other aspects of her. When she's freezing things over is when she recognizes that this is like a pretty big deal for her to work through, but she knows that she can not, cannot take a particular karmic knot on overnight. And so she needs some time. And that is why she freezes it over. It's almost similar to having like a bookmark in a book, if that makes sense. So that's that. The golems. The golems are the beings that help engulf and encapsulate certain energies that planet Gaia wants to work on. And so very often they, most of their time they spend in their dormant phase and almost like in their physical, um, in the physical. And so physically they would look like ice caps. Uh, but then once they start melting, um, then they, their physicality shifts into water. And then again, they're going to go back to, um, you know, be being ice giants or frozen giants again. But again, um, they generally help Gaia transcend karma. And so I don't know that I would necessarily recommend to humans. Um, I don't know that I would recommend working with the ice golems to humans, but they could be interesting conversationalists because they have been with Gaia for so many cycles of ice caps melting and then reforming that they can provide a pretty unique perspective on what's going on with the climate change. So if you're interested talking to ice golems, if developing a relationship, meditating on them, meditating with them can be quite interesting. They're not terribly talkative. So I'm, you know, consider yourself warned, but you can get them to talk. They're a little bit slower. So if you're, you know, if you, the communication that you're receiving from them feels like it is kind of on the slower end, uh, no, it's not you, it's them. It's completely normal. So just have some patience. Working with water elementals sometimes does take patience. Patience is a virtue, especially from the perspective of the water element. Um, I wanted to see if we have any questions from the collective on the undines, anybody that I, sh I told you about. Um, if anything was unclear or you want me to specify, I'm here to receive the question now as long as it serves the collective. How can you best work with uh, mermaids and uh, can they be dangerous to humans? No, I don't think mermaids are um, in any way dangerous to humans. I, they're not a hostile species whatsoever. Um, there have been, I mean, there is some folklore. I'm not going to lie. You guys know, all know it, right? Um, there are some folklore tales where it tells you that, hey, like mermaids don't really like people. Mer merfolk don't really like people. They're dangerous. They would, you know, essentially carry you under, you know, uh, under the, the ocean and whatnot. I mean, that pretty much never happens anymore. Um, you know, merfolk don't really fall in love with, with people all that often in order for them to like want to carry anybody be below and yeah, so probably not. Um, at one point in Atlantis, in ancient Atlantis, um, and I don't know how much you guys know about Atlantis, but it was a time and it was a very 
sophisticated, very technologically savvy civilization. So they did a lot of genetic experiments. And um, merfolk is, was one of the species that they experimented on. And so they created a lot of hybrid species with merfolk um, by you know combining their DNA with a bunch of different beings. Um, there were um, mer hybrids of merfolk and sharks, uh, merfolk and piranhas, so like different uh, fishes of prey, predator fish, fish um, species. Um, there and there were mm, actually very prominent hybrids between merfolk and uh, eagles that uh, eagles and other birds actually and so your sirens what you guys refer to as sirens were actually a result of a genetic experiment at atlantis during atlantis um there were a lot of not so great genetic experiment experiments during atlantis so a lot of the hybrid species uh, like of greek mythology uh, like a centaur, for instance, um, is a result of a genetic, genetic experiment uh, from Atlantis. A lot of these species are extinct because very often they were, I mean, they were lab-grown, so they couldn't really reprodu reproduce. And obviously, with the, with the sinking of Atlantis, a lot of those experiments actually stopped. Now, some of these beings escaped. And the sirens that were um, so feared in the Greek mythology were... Um, essentially, again, examples of genetic experiments, uh, and there were part um, that had um, sirens that were part mermaid and um, part shark, kind of, and they had sirens that were part um, part bird and and part um, um, yeah, like part um, eagle. Uh, also with with like a human face so that was also called um, a siren but either way they were quite vicious and you know um, but there was a very small group of them there were actually under 100 species uh, beings total created at the time and yes they would eat humans but um, beyond that merfolk were really the opposite of nasty or you know they never really meant to harm humans and, and so they really don't how do you work with them um, well, <laughs> the best way to establish a relationship with them is to help them out. So I kind of already told you that they really work on the ley lines. So if you can help them out on the ley lines, there's so much more that they can, you know, um, they can be able to share with you. They know everything that there is to know about the ocean, the life of the ocean. They also work because they work with ley lines. They, they understand the um, crystalline grid of the planet quite well. So they understand the crystals, the mineral kingdom. So they can help you understand that kingdom better. And they can give you all kinds of little neat tips and tricks around that. Um, they also hold the keys to youth and if not immortality... But then definitely prolonging yeah, and maintaining youth, so um, they can teach you about that. How do you work with them? It's it's not so hard. I would definitely recommend uh, just meeting them in a meditation in meditative state. Like a lot of elementals, probably the safest bet is to meet them in a meditative place. If you are going to meet mermaids through a meditation, there is actually. Um, a space that mermaids merfolk designated 
for like these kinds of like etheric meetups between humans and, and their race. So essentially, um, there is, you should think of a purple ocean. So that's the code name. Um, essentially, you would be looking for a place called the purple ocean once you descend into a meditation. Um, so you are essentially, you would imagine that you're walking on purple sand. Um, and it's like deep purple, kind of pretty. And then um, you're walking alongside the ocean and the waters are completely purple. And then there's like a purple moon shining. That's the place. It's an etheric place that was created by Merfolkan people. I didn't make it up, so don't judge. Um, or if you judge, it wasn't me. Uh, you can judge some whoever created it. Uh, collective consciousness. Um, so on that note, purple, <laughs> purple sand, purple waters, purple moon is what that etheric place looks like. So what you would want to do is you're, you're essentially walking alongside this purple shore and you would want to sit down in a meditative, like in a lotus pose, right in front of the water. And you would want to stare into the water. And then you would want to ask for a merfolk, like a merman or a mermaid, whoever you're looking to meet. And you may even specify, like, a, I would like to meet a mermaid that knows about X, Y, or Z or can help me with X, Y, or Z. And then that, you know, you would ask the, that mermaid to reveal herself. Um, and yeah, and then that's where you can have a conversation. It is a safe space, merfolk. Again, they have had a history of abuse from people. And despite the fact that they haven't necessarily gotten hostile because of it, they're not necessarily looking or seeking, proactively seeking content with the human race at this moment in time. And so this space, uh, the purple beach, if you will, is a place where they feel safe and they would be a little bit more prone to showing themselves to you. All right. Is there another question from the collective on the water elementals? If so, speak up. The question is, if I want to work with Oceanides, uh, but you told you said that they're royalty and they have the blood of the Poseidon or the DNA of Poseidon. Um, can anybody work with Oceanides or is it because of their royalty? They're very picky. Yeah, they are picky. I mean, there are just about, like I said, 300 of them left, which is not that much. They're probably still easier to work with than, let's say, I don't know trying to get attention from Zeus or Athena. Um, so probably, I mean, because they're minor, minor gods, minor deities. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure they would work with you if you really wanted to. But there is such a thing as hierarchy and the fewer beings of a particular kind there are, um, the harder it is to work with them. Kind of like similar to what I talked to you about the phoenix. Like, for instance, when we talked about fire elementals, Phoenixes are far in between, far in between on planet Earth, so they get pretty picky. So I would say with Oceanids, maybe not to the degree of Phoenixes, but kind of. So there, there would be a little bit pickier than, let's say, the nymphs that are a little bit more um, like of a lower pay grade. So you, you know, you can always ask for an Oceanid to work with you, and if one shows up, then that's it, and you know, no harm done. In, in like seeking contact and, and I'm pretty sure they are they're gonna be very responsive as well. All right, was there another question from the collective? Anything that I can help answer about the water elementals? Um the question is if I have 
and not so great relationship with water as an element does it mean that by default it's going to be harder for me to build relationships with water elementals well i would say that definitely goes hand in hand um but you know a yes there are people that have had traumatic experiences with the water element but let's not forget that planet earth is a planet where you go to fix your water element connection 100% of you came from a female womb i would venture to assume because of that the element that you were born into because there's liquid in the womb there's water in the womb right like that is where you're floating you are so connected to this element that by definition you cannot be disconnected from it right yes there is some trauma potentially for some of you you drowned in the past life or what have you right if you're afraid of water but it's not like you don't have that relationship you have the relationship you have the connection it's just it's tarnished with some trauma so i would say trying you know working on healing your relationship with water is definitely going to aid and assist you with developing deeper relationship with elementals however if you don't have a good relationship with water as an element, you can start by meeting elementals and they will help you heal the relationship with water. That's part of the reason why, you know, why they're here, right? Is to help humanity also heal their relationship with the water element, balance that out. And so, yes, you may befriend a mermaid or a nymph, and over time, through their counseling, through their counsel, through their advice, through their input and healing you would notice that you understand water better all of a sudden you don't feel that it's a threatening element and you know you would really uncover the nurturing aspects of water and so i would say they go hand in hand but it's definitely not like oh my god if your relationship is broken don't touch the water elementals in fact i, I strongly encourage that you do like the more your relationship is broken the more crucial and critical it is for you to start rebuilding that relationship Alrighty, my dear ones i hope you enjoyed this one i definitely love talking to you about merfolk and nymphs and this was kind of special um yeah if you feel called to give us a rating or leave us a review we really appreciate it because more people can find it so please uh, give us well not a thumbs up but i guess a five star if you like this um and i will be back with more cool content for you guys really soon. So sending you a big virtual hug and have a great week. I'll see you soon. Bye.